Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to The Conversation. Today's episode, I'm going to kind of piggyback on the previous two the two-parter, the two-parter episode just before this uh, on how to foster intuition in your children and yourself, I decided to do five more things that you can do to nurture and foster your connection to your intuitive guidance. As you may know, for the last five decades, I've been developing my intuition, my psychic ability to a greater degree year after year after year. And over time, we all get better and better. I have the firm knowing and a foundational belief that each and every one of us has a direct access to our intuitive guidance. Most of us don't know how to pay attention to it, and many of us don't trust it. We haven't learned to trust it, mainly because you haven't taken the time to actually build that rapport, build that inner knowing, that inner connection, and stop to listen, and frankly, test it out. Now, Developing your intuition, building that inner rapport is is definitely something you can do on your own, especially if you're committed to journaling and self-reflection and introspection and literally testing it out in the laboratory of your life. If you want assistance, I do have an intuition course. It's inside my membership program where I lead you through by the hand on developing a connection to your inner guidance, how to hone in and tune in. To what's going on within. These are techniques and practices and mindsets that I've adopted over the years to amplify my own intuitive guidance, my psychic ability. Now, everyone has access to the psychic realm, non-local information, yet the first hurdle is really honing in and trusting our own intuitive guidance, that inner knowing, that, that uh, foundational, instinctual survival skill It's designed to keep us alive, to keep us away from danger, to move us towards those events, those circumstances that best serve us. And so today, I am going to talk about five things that we can do, five practices that you can put in place to assist you in nurturing and beginning to listen on a deeper level to your intuitive guidance. First off, let's talk about what is or how does intuitive information occur for us. More often than not, it's a knowing, a sense. It's a felt sense. It's going to occur somewhere along the midline of the body. If you were to draw a line starting at just below your belly button, in martial arts it's referred to as your dantian, it's about two inches below your belly button, but draw a line there, straight up to your throat, right up to the center of your face, ending in between your eyes, just above your eyes, in the middle of your forehead. That's referred to as your third eye. Energetically, along the midline of your body are your chakras. Now, chakras is a reference to the Eastern philosophy or the Eastern map of our energetic system, starting at the base of our spine, just between our legs, traveling all the way up to the top of our crown. There are energy centers, different centers in our body that are referred to as chakras. I'm not going to go much into those now, but it does correspond to your intuitive guidance on how it shows up, where it's showing up from. But for now, 
all we need to know is it's going to, we're going to have a sensation. Most often, people have a sensation in their gut or in their belly. Other times, it's in their chest area where there's an expansive feeling in their chest. Sometimes it's a tightening of the throat. This is where we speak our truth. And then there is just in like between our eyes, there is just a firm knowing, a knowing without knowing how we know. So one practice above all others that you can engage in that will assist you in accessing your intuition on a deeper level is meditation. Now, it's perfectly fine to begin in the beginning if you're just taking on a meditation practice to use a guided meditation to use someone else's guidance in slowing down your mind and your body and tuning in. I do have a free mindfulness meditation. You can find that at yesdaniel.com. Download that and listen to it, and I guide you step by step. It's a mindfulness body scan. We start with the breath, and we move on to different parts of the body, connecting the mind to the feeling aspects of the body. This process amplifies our own awareness of the different sensations that are occurring in our body. What does it feel like to relax? What's it feel like to have our breath flow in and out of our body? And not necessarily be in charge of it, but just monitor the process as we're being a witness to our own bodily sensations. Now, ideally, you're not going to become dependent upon this this guided meditation. You're going to use it to actually teach yourself the process of moving from one body part, one body area, one body region to another and shifting your awareness, shifting your focus, one body part at a time. Now, I want you to take the training wheels off and be able to do this for yourself. You're going to know, just begin sitting there quietly, closing your eyes, and tuning in to your breath, feeling the sensation of the breath move in your nostrils. And then you can move your awareness to your throat as it flows into your airway. And then you bring your awareness into your lungs, actually feeling your lungs expand and feeling the air move from the lungs into your blood. And then so on and so on. So ideally, with any meditation practice, you use whatever guided meditation you begin with as just training wheels. The ultimate goal is to be able to connect with yourself to alter your state on your own, of your own volition, not using any outside stimulus, any outside tools. I began meditating when I was 13 years old as I began investigating hypnosis, self-hypnosis, learning to relax my body on a deeper level. And I can now trigger, I have internal triggers, just counting down from three, taking a deep breath, and I automatically shift into an altered trance state. And then from there, I can just relax more and more. Now, the goal of meditation, first and foremost, is mind training. Beginning to focus your mind where you want it to go, when you want it to go, that's the primary aim of learning to meditate. And many people become frustrated. In fact, about 80% of the people that first begin meditating give up shortly after starting. Their, Their internal voice goes something like this. As they're beginning to relax, I wonder how long this has been. I wonder how long I've been out. Is this it? doesn't feel like it's it. doesn't feel like I'm that relaxed. See, they haven't shut off that internal voice. 
part of it, part of the meditation process is becoming aware of that internal voice, releasing it, and then bringing our awareness back to whatever mechanism we're using, whether it's a mantra or our breath or some other focus. And we're going to do that, especially in the beginning, again and again and again. It's going to feel like we're not doing very well. But here's the rub. Every time you catch your mind going off on its own and you stop it, acknowledge it, and then release it, bringing your awareness back to your focus mechanism, whether it's your breath or a mantra, every time you do that, it's a success. It's a successful meditation because the whole process is becoming aware of your mind. It's incessant need to wander, compare, to kind of figure things out, assess. We want to turn the mind off. The mind is merely a mechanism. It's a tool for our own use. Become aware of that aspect of mind that can actually witness the processes of our thought. It's witnessing us being us. You need to ask yourself, what part of me is watching me? This first awareness of there's an aspect of our mind capable of self-reflecting, reflecting on our thoughts, reflecting on our behavior, and having a separate opinion, and also being very compassionate about our own struggles of our humanity. Our first experience of this other aspect is our first shift in altered consciousness. And that may come quickly, or it might come down the road, depending on where you are on your journey. And again, no matter where you are, that's where you are. I don't. It's okay. Wherever you are in the program, you cannot do this wrong. As long as you invest the time, invest the focus, invest the intention and attention, intention and attention on focusing your mind and sending it where you want it to go, that's the first goal. Mind training. The second goal is to relax your mind and body, to, be, to find a place of equilibrium, a neutral point. And some days we find that place, that space within, quite easily. Other times we might spend you know, 14 minutes of a 15-minute meditation just getting there only to experience that equilibrium, that deep restfulness, that center point for only about 30 seconds before we we come out of our meditation. But that's a, that's a success. Every step along the way is a success. If you catch your mind, bring it back, focus your mind, and just go through the process. It may not necessarily be bliss in the beginning. It may not necessarily feel like you're you're accomplishing anything. But every time you sit down and do this, and you don't have to sit in lotus pose where your your legs are twisted up in a knot or a pretzel. You don't have, you can just sit in a chair, you can lie down on the floor, you can lie down on a bed, anywhere you're comfortable as long as you focus your mind. You can do it sitting on the toilet for that matter as well. And I only say that meaning that you can do it anywhere. The third aspect of meditation in coming to that neutral point, that center point where we shut down our brain, shut down the past. We don't, we're not thinking about the future. We're just focusing on our breath, focusing on a mantra or some word that we're saying again and again. What happens is we become immersed in the ocean of the present moment. And what that makes available is we are open to receive, open to receive information, open to receive impulses, urgings, guidance, knowings. 
And oftentimes, and it could happen just as you fall asleep or just as you're waking up, some idea, some knowing will pop in your head. And it feels like that. It just pops in your head. Or it's like a hit. And it's a knowing. It it hits you as a complete knowing. Sometimes it hits you between the eyes. Like, of course, it's, it's, it's almost as if you always knew it. This is how intuition will pop in from time to time. And I didn't say it, but you don't necessarily want to sit down in meditation expecting intuition to show up. What we're doing is just relaxing and opening up the door. And if intuitive guidance wants to come in, it will come in. But when we hold the expectation, we actually push it away. So we're just opening up the door, welcoming it, allowing it to show up if it's ready, if it's time. Now, sometimes people ask me the question, do I have to meditate, meditate, meditate every, every time I want to receive intuitive guidance? No. As long as you become practiced over time of shifting in a neutral, of releasing your attachment to the past or the future, and just being in the present moment, those moments come more and more frequently. And today, like I said, I began when I was 13. I'm now 50 years older than that. And... I have moments of lucidity in in the midst of an ongoing conversation. I can slip in and out of an altered state at will. And many days I no longer formally sit down in meditation. Although sometimes I'll sit down and meditate for three or four hours. Other days, it's just a walking meditation. I'll meditate in the shower. I'll meditate while I'm washing dishes. I meditate while I'm doing the lawn. I'm out sweeping the pool. Or any at any other moment in the day, I'm open to intuition. It's become such a friend to me today that I don't really decipher moments where I'm open to intuition or I'm close to it. I'm always open. I wasn't really aware of this until about 2010, that this was a phenomenon that I was so used to. About May of 2010, I took on a new role. And what's interesting is that I found my intuitive information or access to intuitive guidance harder and harder to access. Like I just didn't know or I couldn't see far enough out how things were going to play, which in some respects was quite unsettling. I, I mean, I didn't realize that I had become so reliant on being able to see around corners or I could see out a week, two weeks, three months out. I knew how things were going to go. I knew how things were going to play out. I had a good sense of it if I didn't know the exact specifics. But in 2010, in spring of 2010, it was somewhat shut down. All I could do immediately was how it was in the beginning. Do I turn right? Do I turn left? Do I go forward? Do I go back? It was very simple binary information. And in the beginning, that's all the information you're going to get. You're not going to get the whole scenario. It's going to feel relatively minor urgings and impulses. But let me just finish this story about me kind of losing this this long-range perspective in the spring of 2010. I took on the role of being the executive director of a youth leadership program. Home base was in Albuquerque. I was living in Fort Worth, so the program began that summer. In June, I was driving back and forth to Albuquerque, spending four days of a weekend 
immersed in the program. And then I drive back home to Fort Worth to take care of business. And I turn around and drive back. There were five weekends in Albuquerque. And then we had a month in India. But what's interesting is I took on this role thinking it was going to be a long-term gig. Even though I picked up the torch, it was already in process. And my job in 2010 was just to see the program through. Well, the next five months was a whirlwind of activity. And I was, you know, put 30,000 miles on my car, how many miles on the plane. It was a lot of activity, only to come to the point in September where I was voted out of my position by the board. I wasn't even a party to the conversation. They just kind of called me up and said, your services are no longer needed. Unbeknownst to me, there was plotting behind the scenes and there was an, an intention to take ownership or take the position of running the nonprofit. When I finally got the news, I totally understood. It was like, why didn't I see this ahead of time? In reflection, if I had that knowing, that psychic knowing back in the spring, I would have never stepped into the position. I would have never invested the energy. I would have never gone through the process knowing that it was going to end just five months later. But had I not invested myself in the program, had I not gone through the process, it would have been a huge mistake. I got so much out of it. I got to spend a month in India. It gave me a completely different perspective on how to read people and how to read situations. It up-leveled my leadership. What happened to the people that took the program over from me? They dropped the ball. The program dissolved. They didn't move forward. They didn't put anything in place. Ultimately, it was a clash of egos. And I think I guess I'm happy to walk away from it. I'm wiser and smarter for it. My point in telling this story that if sometimes you can't hone in on your vibe or what the urging is or what the universe is guiding you to, to be or do, all you can do is all you can do and you just take it one step at a time, one turn at a time, one decision at a time. I like to call this following the breadcrumbs. And so this brings me to prescription number two. The first prescription was to meditate, to focus your mind, to open up, to receive. That's kind of a multi-tier dynamic inside that first prescription. Well, the second prescription is to trust the process. Trust that you're connected. Trust that you're receiving intuitive guidance. Now, sometimes when we're not used to receiving intuitive guidance, we doubt it. We doubt the messenger. We're not sure, and we become fearful. Well, intuitive guidance has nothing to do with fear. If you feel fear, it's usually a result of some other thought mechanism. It is not your intuitive guidance. And this is where I feel I have to sometimes clarify that for people, because your intuitive guidance will oftentimes alert you to potential danger. But when it does, it's simply pay attention. Things are off. This isn't right. You can't trust them. They're not trustworthy. We just instantly and instinctively know. It's our intuition informing us, but it comes across as just matter of fact. Now, that's not to say that after we're aware of that, we're aware that we have potential danger, that our mind doesn't run somewhere. We don't activate the fear response, but it is not our intuition that's doing that. Intuitive guidance, more often than not, comes across as just matter of fact. So, in this second prescription, in trusting our intuition, we lean into trusting it first, and then following it and see how it goes. Especially in circumstances and situations 
events that don't have any large consequence. Maybe it's when to go to the store or what, what to eat. We tune into our intuition. But this is where it comes up to prescription number three, asking really good questions. Because our intuition is always in the process of answering our most current question. And so if we ask an ill-formed question, if we ask a stupid question or a nondescript question, we're going to get a nondescript response. So let's say that we're considering what to eat and we tune into different things that we could eat and we ask, what's the best thing for me to eat? Well, that's an ill-formed question. And you might ask, why? It sounded pretty good to me. Well, when we say, what is the best, there's many roads that lead to Rome. There's many good things that we could eat. There is no one best thing for us to eat. And it depends on what context we're considering what is best for. What sounds the most delicious? What sounds the the most uh, appetizing? And more often than not, we'll get an answer. But that's not necessarily the best for us or the most healthy thing we can eat. What's the healthiest thing I can eat that is also good to eat or good tasting? That's a very specific question, and I'm going to get an immediate response. And if your rapport isn't that well developed yet, you can actually hold the food in your hand, hold it against your body, and get a sense of it. Does it feel like it's something you want to take in, or does it feel like something you want to put down? And this brings in prescription number four, is developing that inner rapport, that felt sense We started that with our meditation, tuning in to the different sensations in our body. But when we tune in to that felt sense, when we tune into a potential answer, when we ask our intuition, the easiest signals to pick up on is if it's a yes, it feels more expansive, lighter, breezier. We feel good in response. Typically, if it's a no, it's heavier, it's denser, it feels more constricting, almost like there's a rubber band around your body tightening things up. And it just feels more difficult. If you're running your hand through water, it'll feel like running your hand through mud. Easy breezy on one side, dense and heavy on the other. How I train this for myself, how I put this into practice for myself, I began taking little day trips. I would get in the car, and I wouldn't really have any idea where I was going to go that day, but I was prepared to drive about 200 miles. And so what I would do is sometimes, sometimes I'd have a sense of what direction I was going to head. So other times I didn't. I would go to the end of the drive, go to the end of the road, go to the next stop sign, and then I'd get a, a tune in to the sense, do I turn right, turn left, or go straight? And I would take the whatever seemed most appropriate. And then I'd do the same thing at the next stop sign. And oftentimes, once I would head in a direction, I'd get an idea how far I was going to go. And then I would go that distance. Sometimes I, I'd, get, I'd make a turn, and about a mile down the road, I'd get the sense I'm heading the wrong way. I'd turn around and head back the other direction. You might be asking, well, what was my question? What was my intention on the front end of it? Where was my intuition guiding me? I wanted an adventure. I wanted something that was connected me to my experience of being alive. And sometimes that led me to a a small town with some series of shops with a nice restaurant, and I'd have lunch out on the balcony or the patio. Other times it'd bring me across stranded motorists, and I was there to assist them, to be the right person at the right time that they needed at that moment. And other times it led me 
just down a path to where my mind was open and I received deep intuitive guidance while on this drive. And then other times it would lead me to this most beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset, depending on when I took off that day. But what I was doing was honing in on that feeling of expansiveness of what felt right, what felt wrong, what was a yes, what was a no. And it's practicing that way. Again, it's practicing when the risk is low, when there's no you know, serious consequences on taking the wrong road or taking the wrong path. How that road practice serves me today is I seldom, very seldom, end up in traffic, you know, where traffic is stopped. I either leave early enough, I get the urging to leave early enough to where I avoid that sort of thing, or I take an alternate route and I avoid it altogether. But it just doesn't apply to, you know, road experience. It applies to every area of my life. I make all kinds of decisions that way. And it's so quick now, I rarely spend any time deliberating over which is the right choice for me. I just know. So prescription number four is practicing tuning in. Prescription number five is grounding and becoming centered. The two are somewhat different yet similar. It could be considered two different prescriptions, but I'm going to count them in the same category, grounding and centering. Let's start out with grounding. When we spend a lot of time in our head, working at the computer, working with electronics, on the phone, the other activities, if we're spending a lot of time meditating, a lot of spiritual ideas, we're in our head a lot, we almost feel airy-fairy, kind of spacey. We really need to ground our body. So what we want to do is get barefoot, out on the dirt, out on the ground, into the grass. Now, I work at home every day. I spend the majority of my time barefoot. I don't wear shoes very often at all. But some of you wear shoes almost from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed. And these soles are typically synthetic, so you're separated from naturally grounding. And sometimes we just feel lightheaded, foggy, can't think straight by the end of the day. And so we want to ground. We get barefoot in the dirt. Only for about two, three minutes is all it takes to, to neutralize the negative energy, to, to neutralize the positive ions that we picked up. We take on negative ions off the earth. I've had to make it a regular process to regularly ground. Otherwise, I start shorting out my electrical devices. It interrupts the memory. I start turning things off or turning things on, shutting down apps. And when that happens, I know it's definitely time to ground. Now, what I do also is I only work for about two hours at a time. Then I go outside and ground. And maybe I might even take a bath. Take an Epsom salts bath is another way to ground your body. Then again, sometimes... I don't take a bath, I'll take a shower. And in it, I'll imagine the water washing over my body, cleansing my aura, cleansing my energy field. Again, it's the intention, it's consciousness. Now, centering is somewhat different, yet sometimes... Now, centering is somewhat different, yet somewhat the same. In centering, we want to center our mind, center our space into one focused moment. And so what we want to do is we stop talking or being invested in the past and we stop investing ourselves in the future and we come present to the present moment. We might do that by focusing on some item in the room, just staring at it, whether it's like my cup on my desk at the moment or the lamp in the corner, the calendar on the wall. Again, when I'm looking at the calendar of the wall, I'm not looking at what's written on the calendar on the wall. I'm just saying 
calendar on the wall. I'm just identifying it, and that's where my focus is. And if it starts to go to the to what's written on there, I focus again, calendar on the wall. This is the power of meditation for, to send your mind where you want it to go. But in this centering moment, I'm also taking a nice deep breath. I'm taking a breath in and I'm holding it for a count of four or five. And I'm allowing it to leave my body in a long exhalation. When we exhale, especially when we lengthen the exhale, we slow down our heart. We come present in the moment. And I'll take another breath like that. Usually I do three centering retention breaths. Breathe in, retain it for four to five seconds, and then it's a long exhalation. This three-breath centering moment takes no more than 30 seconds, sometimes 20 seconds, and I'm right as rain. I'm centered. This is also a good practice to tune into or be open to receive intuitive guidance. When I sit down to do a reading, there's a little moment where I'll center. And as I center, I call in my guides, I call in any assistance that's, re- that's required to do the reading, to, to, tone, to, tune, to, to tune in, come on, Daniel, tune in to the information. Again, I'm centering the mechanism. I'm shutting down the mechanism. I'm opening up to receive to whatever information's available. I don't do any protection because I'm ultimately protected. I have a belief system where nothing gets in that is not of the highest vibration. It is a boundary that I've set for myself, and I don't have to reinforce it. I don't have to reinstitute it. A lot of people will say to surround yourself in white light, offer up some kind of protection spell. Well, I am not that wide open, and you can create that for yourself just by reaffirming that you only allow information in that is of the highest order, from the highest domain, aligned with love, joy, and divine intention. And I'm getting that this is important for me to say because you have divine sovereignty. Nothing can get in, nothing can affect you without your permission. You have autonomy. So this also speaks to what I talked about yesterday or in the previous podcast episode about empaths or empathic ability is empaths are generally wide open. They don't have a filter. And so they're affected or sensitive to all kinds of energy. I went through a period of my life where that happened to me when I was 28. And frankly, it was quite uncomfortable. So I set up a boundary. I realized that I required a boundary just to protect myself. And I really haven't needed any kind of protection since. Once in a blue moon, I'll get the impulse, I'll get the sensation that I need to draw in my guides really close. So I'm surrounded by loving energy, but by and large, it's not even a consideration. There's a couple popular psychics out there in celebrity land that I'll point to as distinction about what they allow in. Now, in the TV series, The Dead Files, Amy Allen will go to a location, and she always encounters malevolent beings, shadow creatures, negative energy. And she's a physical medium, so it takes a toll on her. She usually has to recover after every interaction with them. Contrast that with Kim Russo, celebrity ghost stories, I think it is, or Hollywood ghost stories, something like that. Kim Russo, the happy medium, is uh, she says, I won't even go there. I'm not even going to entertain that energy. So Everyone that comes through to her are spirits that have a positive message. They're benevolent in nature. 
Their, their intention is usually misinterpreted, misaligned, and she usually ends up sending them back to the light or sending, refreeing their energy back into the ether. Two completely different energies, and they've both set the intentions completely differently. So I, I know this is coming up because some of you out there, more than one, are afraid of your intuitive gifts, afraid of your psychic information. You might be more turned on than you know, but it's incumbent upon you to, one, begin meditating, begin focusing your attention, gaining dominion over your energy, setting your boundaries, setting, setting the parameters in which you exchange or interact with unseen energies. So let's summarize these five prescriptions. Number one, meditate. Learn to meditate. Meditate more often. Knowing that every action, every time you step into or practice meditation, you're doing good work. You cannot do it wrong. You're getting it right each and every time you do it, even though it may not feel like it. First and foremost, the purpose of meditation is to train the mind. Now, I didn't say this earlier, and I think it's important to say because it just popped in. The mind cannot not think of something. So sometimes people sit down attempting to empty their mind, to erase all thoughts. And the mind is incapable of doing that because the natural function of the mind is to think thoughts. But what we want to do is bore it into submission. So we focus it on our breath. We focus it on a mantra. It can be one, one, om, whatever. The word mantra literally translates into tool. So we're focusing the mind where we want it to go. We don't try and empty it. We focus it where we want it to go. We recognize when it wanders off. We acknowledge, hey, you just wandered off. And we bring it back to our awareness of the breath, of the mantra. We're directing the focus of the mind. Prescription number two, trust yourself. Trust the signals. Trust that you are intuitive. Trust that you have access to intuitive guidance. And when it comes in, play with it. Practice with it. And then in reflection, get an assessment of how did it feel? Did it work out? Tune in. Where did that sensation first occur? And it's through this self-reflection that you get more and more accurate in your diagnostic intuitive information. Number three is ask intelligent questions. Ask the right question. Ask the question you actually want the answer to. And if it doesn't feel like you're getting a good response or an accurate response, ask a more intelligent question, an infinitely more specific question. Leave out the ideas of better, best, or more. A good question to entertain is which action, which direction would lead to the most benevolent outcome for all concerned. Prescription number four, tune into your senses. Play with your senses, practice with them, have field days, play dates with them. And I didn't really say it then, but having fun with it really opens up your intuitive access. Number five is grounding and centering. And in through grounding and centering, we create our boundaries. We, we manage our energy. And that's it. That's the five prescriptions that I have for today. There's more. There's more, but that's all you really need for now. So until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you engage in the epic adventure. (laughs) 